0: Top of the morning to you, or afternoon or evening, whenever you may be listening. My name is Scotty, and welcome to Chip Time, Season 3, Episode 5. And we have an absolutely packed show for you. I know I say that every time, but this is a very special occasion where we have finished up another track season. In this case, the indoor track season across all divisions. And my goodness, as good as it was, I am so excited for outdoor track season being just a few weeks away. Selfishly, my favorite time of the year is the spring and early summer, which is, of course, in our world, the outdoor track season. NCAA professional people are going to be going for those world qualifiers. And then soon after, we will be getting into The 2023 U.S. and World Championships, which will be in Budapest this year. So very excited for that. But today is going to be the day that we celebrate what has been an electric indoor track season, which finished up with the championships this weekend. And so our focus mainly is going to be on Division I and I would say of the 10 distance events of, of the five distances across men's and women's equaling 10 races, 10 finals at least, couple prelims as well, uh, really seven of them hit my radar the hardest, but I didn't want to just exclude the other three. So we're going to be given a quick footnote of those first three races and then spending some more time on the other seven, uh, but really not too much time. It's it's going to be more of a casual setting today. Just moving through some of the highlights, some of the things I got right, some of the things I got wrong in my predictions, some of the things I enjoyed about these races and the broadcast production, and some of the things I absolutely hated about the broadcast production. We will be getting into all of those things and so much more. But first, because this is a solo episode from your boy, we're going to continue with the theme we have had this season, which is starting out these solo episodes with some shoes news. And I, you know, I could have gone Saucony again, I could have done it because they've continued to innovate. But thankfully, some other shoe companies have stepped up and given us some product to talk about outside of the world of Saucony. We're trying to be diverse in the shoe company United Nations, so to speak, not showing our bias all the time. And so today, we venture to a world called Switzerland, where a company called On Running has really brought out some good stuff. I mean, we're no need to sugarcoat the fact that I am very high on this shoe. The On Cloud Surfer. New one to the On lineup. This is a neutral road shoe. And what do I like about this shoe? Well, first of all, you really gotta start with the brand itself. What do we think of when we think of On Shoes? We think of how different they are from the other lines of shoes. You know, there's a lot of similarities between you, you got New Balance as your softer, typical shoe. You've got uh, Saucony sort of in the middle of comfort and in energy and performance. And then you've got Asics and Brooks, more of your firmer midsole, Nike right in there as well. And, and they all seem to fit on this range with a somewhat similar design, swooping toe, somewhat similar outsole. I know it's an oversimplification of the market, but on is that outlier, it sticks out, and they're really innovating from their existing lines to some newer designs, so I like that. It's not just that they have innovated once upon a time, and then they're they're just parking it there and keeping the same types of shoes forever and eternity. They are innovating to new lines, and they are making some much needed changes to some of their current lines. So in this case, brand new shoe, the On Cloud Surfer. What do we like about this shoe? Quite a bit. This is checking almost every single box that I look for in a training. Shoe. We'll start with some of the the main parts of the shoe. The upper, comfortable upper, uh, cushioned heel counter. They they really have fixed what was one of the issues with some of their earlier shoes, which was not having too thin of a heel counter where you're going to get a blister on your heel, but also not having one that is bulky or weighing down the shoe. They seem to have perfected that here with the Cloud Surfer. Now, most interesting part, uh, well there's a couple interesting parts here, so we'll take it one piece at a time. The midsole. The midsole is somewhat different than some of the other on shoes. First of all, when you look at it from the side, the clouds, so to speak, it has kind of a bubble pattern to it. Uh, the, The bubbles or the clouds are sort of facing forward rather than just circular and from what i have heard that has been really really impactful to the comfort of the mid foot strike with this shoe whether or not it's because of that direction or it was just an observation that is something that was brought up but the big change from other on shoes like the cloud stratus the cloud monster is there is no speed board in the cloud Surfer, ironically, there's no surfboard in the Surfer. Uh, But I think that's good here. I think that's good. The change here is you are sacrificing some durability because really when you put pressure on the shoe, you're going right into that midsole foam without having that quote unquote board in between. But it is also lighter and you're getting right into that cushion without the board in between. And from what I have heard, comfort of this shoe is frankly off the charts and we have not really been able to say that with the other on shoes they've been comfortable but really in in sort of the let's say an average level of comfort as far as the the shoe market is concerned this this surfer here is revolutionary uh this is something that you're going to want to at least go to the store put them on your feet see how it feels type comfort now, sort of wrapping up here. Uh, what are what are the drawbacks here? We've really had nothing but good things to say. Um, first, first, I'll mention one of them, which is the durability. As I mentioned, no speed board, softer midsole. Shoes gonna break down more quickly than it would with a firmer midsole and with that board in the middle. Something like the Cloud Stratus. So yes, you're getting light, less life out of the shoe. That is, of course, a drawback because the money you pay for the shoe is the shoe's gonna be broken down more quickly. The advantage, obviously, more comfortable ride during the time that you have the shoe and it's lighter weight. So another perk is this one should be good for daily runs and even tempo runs. Uh, Potentially a little bit out of the wheelhouse of an easy run just because it's so light and comfortable that, frankly, you're going to have a hard time slowing yourself down. Um, But that is a benefit of the shoe is its dual purpose. It's a tweener, so to speak, between daily training and tempo runs. But the last thing, in addition to the lack of durability of the shoe, and and that's not to say it's going to break down after 200 miles, but we're looking at maybe that 300, 350, max 400 mile range uh, versus something like a Cloud Stratus that can go 500, 550. Um, This one's gonna break down sooner and the price point is at $160, which seems to be pretty typical for on. It's a bit high compared to other brands, more established brands in the market and that's where it gets to be a little bit tricky is because you know as i sit here we rattle off all these attributes of the shoe it's checking all the boxes and the only two boxes it doesn't exactly check for me are the durability and the price point what does that tell me well if i had a million dollars if if the bare naked ladies came true and I had a million dollars, what would I do? I wouldn't care about durability and price point as much because I could just get as many pairs as I want and and if it broke down, I would just get another pair of the shoes. And so when you look at strictly shoe performance, this is like a a nine out of 10 or a 10 out of 10, but those other factors, the durability and the price point, that is going to deter the common man from purchasing this shoe. You know, this program itself, this Chip Time podcast, this is for the common man and woman. And we want to be clear and transparent about these things that are going to make someone who's looking to pay $80 to $100 for a shoe, $160 is just going to be way too high. And so that is the only main issue with this shoe is that on has really gone into the market of established runners who running for them it's not just something on the side that they do to stay healthy they're they're a pretty active runner in signing up for races on the reg maybe they're a marathoner on an annual basis this is a shoe they would see as an investment But for the common runner, it might not be for you unless, of course, you do have a million dollars or something close to that amount of net worth. With all that being said, I do have to just give my hats off, my compliments to the chef on this one, because in my opinion, and I would stamp this down five stars, this is the best shoe on has come out with to date. Um, aside from the spike and you know the cloud boom echo, the, the marathon racing shoe, as far as daily trainers tempo-ish shoes go, the on cloud surfer is the best one they've come out with. That's a good sign. It's a good sign that their existing lines are going to improve. It's a good sign that really every shoe across their board is going to improve. Uh, I didn't even talk about the outsole. I almost missed that. Um, the outsole is, I would say, less patchy than a cloud stratus. What do I mean by that? You look at the cloud stratus. You look at those, again, bubbles, clouds on the side. There are multiple separate pieces of of really uh, an outsole and a midsole that join together. It's hard to describe without having a picture of the shoe, but it's much more smooth here in the Cloud Surfer, and that's where I feel like the name of the shoe is true to form. It really has kind of a surfboard feel to it. Slight, slight decoupled groove on the top, consistent rubber all the way throughout. Uh, they, they weren't using the cheap stuff like Saucony did with that last shoe we mentioned. Good materials, good design, and uh, I really like that as an improvement uh, with the upper or with the the outsole rather, because I think that leads to the comfort of the midfoot strike as well. So a little all over the place, but but again, I, I do just want to drive it home. This is the best shoe that An has ever come out with. And if you are one of those people in that established running market, You've gotten some great use out of amazing shoes, and you're you're willing to go up to that hundred and sixty dollar price point. This has got to be one you try. Um, this is innovative, it's checking all the boxes, and it's dual purpose. So, you know, for a lot of people, that's worth paying up for because you can use this shoe for multiple purposes. So, again, my compliments to the chef there on these delicious new shoes uh, from on running and very excited to see what they do the rest of the year. But with all that being said, we have so many races to cover here from the NCAA Indoor Track and Field Championships. So let's get a quick word from our sponsors and then dive into all those recaps. This episode is sponsored by The Amino Company. As I'm sure you know by now, Perform from The Amino Company is by far my favorite 100% science-backed product. And why is that? I'm glad you asked, because I am someone who works in an office job, sits in a chair for about nine hours a day, and when I have that time in the evening to exercise, whether it's running or going to the gym, I want to get the most out of that time, and this product is great because it achieves three things I'm looking to do. Number one, it increases the peak strength and endurance of my muscles during exercise. Number two, it improves my cognitive focus, function, and concentration, and number three, it decreases recovery time by quickly rebuilding muscle tissue. If you want to check out any more of their science, go to Aminoco.com slash chiptime. And because you're one of our listeners, you'll get a 30% discount on any of the Aminoco products when you use code chiptime at check out and also if you're interested go to our episode from season two where we interview dr robert wolf the developer of perform from the amino company a man who has run 62 marathons in under two hours and 30 minutes great guy to talk to phenomenal conversation phenomenal product make your way to aminoco.com chip time now back to the show NCAA Indoor Track and Field Championships in Albuquerque, New Mexico, 5,000 feet of elevation altitude, a place I have done a track workout in back in the day. And uh, not to brag, but the altitude didn't quite hit me as, as hard as some of my teammates. And definitely not not as hard as uh, the the level some of these these commentators were were making it out to be. Um like, oh my gosh, the last two hundred meters of these eight hundred races, you gotta remember, they're up at altitude, and I'm thinking, I mean you're you're lactically tapped out <laughs> at sea level <laughs> in an eight hundred at that point anyways. So are we really gonna act like, the altitude matters that much there. But if we're calling it how it is, it definitely makes a difference in the distance events. We saw that for sure, and uh, you could definitely tell different from some indoor championships of past years. But like I said at the top of the show, I really want to just quickly run through actually four of of the events. I said three, but four of them uh, before we spend... Slightly more time on seven others, and I just didn't want to throw shade at the other events that I found less interesting, so we're going to give them their due. The first one is the men's distance medley relay, and you know, the first thing I'll mention very general comment but the DMR is really one of those events that. I'm getting ahead of myself because I have some thoughts on the broadcast later, but just in general, a distance medley relay is a type of athletic competition that makes track and field so unique that we have this team event where the four members on the team are each running a different distance and it's very unique. It matters so much who you put on which leg of that relay, and it never really gets covered with that level of passion or excitement. Um, it's really just the scrambling of the commentators trying to find out who is running on each leg because of the fact that coaches can enter really as many names as they want. Uh, and then just choose the four on the spot. So as far as the men's race went, Oklahoma State won it uh, as expected. And really when I say that, I mean, they broke the NCAA record this year, and it it seemed like if they were going to run their main two guys, Fawad Masudi on the 1,200 leg and Ryan Shopey on the 1,600 anchor, that they would be totally fine as long as they took care of business, uh, and especially that 800 leg, having Juan Diego Castro out there, perfect guy to bridge that gap. And uh, no one was really in contention with them once it got to Shoppy on the anchor, and he's good enough to take it to the house. So shout out to them. I really don't have much more to say other than the fact that Washington was really hyped up this whole year since they have like eight guys who are were what under like 355 or something like a crazy amount of fast milers but what you got to remember with this one is it's not a four by mile it's a distance medley relay and if you're not getting the juice at 1200 and 800 and 400 it doesn't matter if your miler is is two seconds faster, you're not going to have the stick in the lead. And we frankly saw that from these guys. Still did well, but could not keep up with the Cowboys. Next one I have here, uh speaking of Washington, is the men's mile. Um I, It was an exciting race. So, you know, perhaps this should have been one that bumped up on, on my board here. You had the Uh, The favorites of Anas SIE, South Carolina. He's run the the second fastest mile in NCAA history. You got Joey Dubs, Joe Wascom from Washington, reigning champ in the 1500. He's run 351 this year, which is fourth all time in the NCAA. Seems like it's going to be between those guys. And as well as they ran, ended up being Luke Hauser of Washington, winning that national title. And Isaac Baston of Drake had a heck of a finishing lap there, uh, nearly stole the win, but was just about a quarter step behind Hauser in that case. And I got to give myself a little bit of credit because in my predictions, I had Hauser finishing third which was, uh, of course, not correct because he won it, but uh, that was higher than any of my teammates at TSR predicted him. And and believe me, I will mention the races I was very wrong on, so don't worry. We're we're not going to just mention those. But I picked Oklahoma State, and then I, I, I was pretty close with Hauser on that one. The last race of sort of our footnotes here, which... I apologize that there is no shade being thrown here. Uh, it, it's just what happened was exactly what was expected. I' am talking about the women's 5K 3K double, which was two national titles for Caitlin Toey. Extremely impressive. Um, you know, in my opinion, she's very much cemented herself as a top five all time, NCAA distance runner across men's and women's uh, history. And that's important. And if this was ESPN first take, we would be just having a goat debate for two hours. But as far as just watching the races, you know, it wasn't like big moves were being made. She just took control over the last 800 meters or so. Again, extremely impressive. But is there that much for us to analyze? Not really. Uh, Really missed having Parker Valby out there. Unfortunately, injury issues on her end. And uh, yeah, just not quite the same level of excitement as we had in the cross-country national championships in the fall and the 5K last spring between those two athletes, Tui and Valby. But still, gotta mention... Just how impressive that is. I mean, I mention it all the time, just the fact that even when you are the favorite going into a national championships like this, and you've run the collegiate record like she had in the 3K, for example, you don't get a head start at nationals. They don't just hand you this title. And I really respect the way she ran that 3K because she's going against some women like Kaylee McCabe from West Virginia, for example, who didn't have a race on the legs from the the evening before and was going in fresh. And Caitlin, she had that 5K from from the day before, but still took it to the house. Really was in control the whole time. Generational talent, and uh, I'm pretty sure all of us at TSR picked her for both events. I'm I'm like very confident we all we picked her for both. So, uh, shout out to us for, for just knowing what we're talking about (laughs) for once. So time to transition here to a few races. I want to spend a little bit more time on, um, you know, I was originally going to just do a top three or a top four, but then I realized, oh my gosh, like I got to talk about that one and I got to talk about that one. And we're going to start with the men's 800 meters. And this is where I'm just going to put my hand up. Uh, We might as well get this out of the way. I did not predict these results even close to how they ended up. Um, My thought process going into this one was when you look at the qualifying list, it was filled from top to bottom with guys who had run anywhere from 146 low to like 147 low 147 mid and when you factor in the altitude and you really just just put the tactics of the 800 the chaos of the 800 into your thought process my thinking was this is way this is going to be way closer than people are making it out to be when they say that it's going to be either Navasky Anderson of Mississippi State or Yusuf Bizimana of Texas. And so in my predictions, I put those guys at, I put Busymana at fifth. I put Anderson at sixth. I was trying to be contrarian. I was trying to shuffle my picks just so they would be different than everyone else. And then if something crazy happened, like someone gets clipped or trips on the rail or just doesn't run a smart prelim and make the final, then I can sort of shoot up uh, by luck of the draw, essentially, and, and and be correct on this one. So I took Jason Gomez of Iowa State, you know, proven veteran, and he, he didn't have a good prelim. It was chaotic and he did not advance. And uh, I ended up getting burned on that for sure. Um, But when you look at the final, okay, crazy race. Absolutely crazy race. Therese Roden of Clemson, he takes it out quick, just like he did at ACC's. But around the 400-meter mark, Anderson catches him. He asserts himself into the lead over that third lap. And at the bell, he's got some distance between him and the field, but Busy Mana, he's not out of it yet. He's moving up, and when they get to the home stretch, 50 meters to go, you can't tell if Anderson or Busy Mana is going to win it, and Busy Mana correctly swings out to lane two. Anderson's on the inside. And right as they're getting to the line, it looks like it's either person's race with Anderson just a stride ahead. Anderson shifts over to lane two, blocks Busy Mana, crosses the line first, and instantly you see the yellow flag go up, which is sort of a, a, a foul to be reviewed for a potential disqualification. And... I had to, you know, mention a, a couple things here. Um, first of all, if you've been listening to this show since last year, I am not a supporter of most disqualifications in track and field. There have been a lot of soft DQs that don't that didn't really impact the outcome of a race, but then they come back and they disqualify a runner who rightfully deserved. To win that title, but in this case, this was pretty clear. He impeded Busy Mana's progress, he didn't even need to do it to get the title. He just needed to stay in lane one, keep his eyes on the finish line, lean at the line, and he would have won. But he panicked, you know, he must have been watching some Paul Chalimo tape and decided to throw some dirty tactics in there. And as you can see where this is going, if you happen to miss the race, Navaski-Anderson was disqualified. So yes, the guy who just ran the fastest time of the year, was the first to cross the line in the national title race, was stripped of that national title, which now has been bestowed on Yusuf Bizimana. But like I said, it was the correct call. Um, Anderson is probably the only one that disagrees with it. But it was a very—it it wasn't like he moved into lane two as they they rounded into the home stretch. It was right in the last five meters. It was a, a patented Paul Cholimo move, and uh, thankfully there was justice this time, and uh, Anderson was DQ'd. As a result of it, so you know you really hate to see that, but in this case, it was the correct call, and uh, you just got to shout out Bizimana for for running a smart race and uh, just run a clean race. That's that's really all you got to do, and he took care of business there. Next up, we're we're sort of combining two events here: the women's eight hundred and distance medley relay, because of. The way the Stanford women just just cleaned up house in this affair. So the way the timeline worked out, Friday night, you got the first round of the 800. You got the semifinal. Juliet Whitaker and Roisin Willis, the freshman phenom of Stanford, they are the future of American women's distance running, along with, of course, a thing Mo uh, and Sophia Gorioran. And they run the prelim, they make it look like child's play, they progress to the final. And then less than an hour later, they have the distance medley relay. And this goes back to my main point I had about the men's race. Um, It's really hard to predict these DMRs because you just don't know who the coaches are going to actually field in these lineups if you did know who was running in which slot i think it would be a lot easier but in most cases you just don't know who's going to run in in which slot the dmr and so shame on me i mean this is my biggest whiff uh right up there with with the men's 800 Um, i didn't even put stanford in my top eight because i just assumed that J.J. was not going to have Willis and Whitaker run in the DMR because it was so soon after their 800. And I was thinking, you know, these are freshmen. This is their first NCAA indoors. He's probably going to want them just to do their main event. And he tosses them in the DMR, and they shredded Everybody, you got to shout out the rest of the Stanford lineup as well on on the 1200 and the 400. But with Willis on the 800, Whitaker anchoring, they took care of business. Although you do have to shout out Lauren Gregory of Arkansas having a huge anchor leg. I believe they were in fourth place entering uh, the anchor leg. You had UCLA in second. Maybe it was Notre Dame in third. I've only watched these races once, so uh, I, I apologize if I get anything wrong. Um, but yeah, it, it was a big one for Gregory. She made up a seven-second gap, got right behind Whitaker last 50 meters. And frankly, it looked like Juliet was down and out. Uh, At that point, you know, 50 meters to go, you look at the knee drive, the turnover from Gregory, it's like she's reeling her in. She's catching her. But as the band We the Kings has led us to know, Check Yes Juliet, are you with me? She was with us for an incredible anchor leg, run baby run. She did not ever look back. Um, She knew Lauren Gregory would tear her apart if she gave her the chance. (laughs) If you don't know that song, you probably think I'm going crazy right now. But uh, shout out to We the Kings uh, and shout out to the Stanford Cardinal distance medley relay for their first national title since the year 2000, which was before uh, most of their lineup was born. So that makes me feel old. But moving on from that one to the final of the women's 800 about 24 hours later you're in this 800 which was so different than the men's race because this you had your top three of the stanford women and michaela rose of lsu and and you just knew they were head and shoulders above the field as a member of the media i'm required to say no disrespect to anyone else, but I mean, we we just kind of knew, like with the Caitlin Tui races, these three are the best. They're going to finish one through three. It's just a matter of what the order is. And uh, Roisin Willis, I mean, she is something special out there. She didn't sit and kick. She really led this one nearly wire to wire and still had the juice at the end. So a huge, huge national title for her to start out her collegiate career. And uh, I got to shout myself out here because the top four in this race, which were Willis, Whitaker, Rose, and then Claire Seymour of BYU, I had those perfectly in order on my predictions card. So maybe that makes up for how bad I did on the men's 800, maybe not. You can be the judge, but uh, for as chaotic of an event as the 800 meters is, I felt pretty good to to get uh, the top four correct in order there. So, uh, and also for how bad my my DMR predictions were. Moving on here, we got a couple more. The women's mile. Speaking of Lauren Gregory, who ran a crazy fast. Anchor leg in that DMR. We get to the women's mile, and it's similar to the men's 800 in the sense that it seemed to me that from top to bottom, there wasn't a clear favorite in the field. You had strong contenders, you really had no weak points in that field. I mean, the fact that Margot Appleton, who had the last seed time the slowest seed time I believe she ended up finishing fourth uh, in the final it shows you how deep and how strong this mile field was but you know I will put my hand up again I did not do particularly well I predicted Amina Matug of Duke to get the win and she faded she faded to 7th place Um, You know, I really feel like the way she runs, she's more of a strength-based runner, and it seems to me like going all-in on the 3K might be the move for her in the future, but she'd been crushing it on the mile uh, all year, and, and I just felt comfortable picking her, but I did have Lauren Gregory second, which is where she finished, but it ended up being a battle between her and five-time Big Ten champion Olivia Howell. And when you got to that bell, I mean, I feel kind of bad for Lauren Gregory, in all honesty, because similar to her duel with Juliet Whitaker in the DMR, aesthetically, optically, using your eyes, watching the race, it looks like Lauren Gregory is going to take this one. It, It looks like she's got more turnover. They keep cutting to a, a side video uh, stream of Lance Harder. You know, it's his last year coach in Arkansas. And and Lauren Gregory has been so decorated, but doesn't have that national title. And it seems like it's going to happen. And then Olivia Howell holds her off. And it just reminds me that it's just the way track and field goes there are no guarantees especially in the middle distance events and just just got a shout out gregory because she performed so well across the entirety of this track meet even though she didn't win a national title and uh spoiler alert um this is illegal that i'm even saying this but but I'll, i'll mask it by leaving out specifics I just want to mention that we are going to reward Lauren Gregory in our updated rankings of the stride report. I will not say where she is moving up to, but we are rewarding her even though she did not take home a national title. But shout out to Olivia Howell. And one point I wanted to make here, um, because we're transitioning into a part of the show, where it's one of my favorite parts. We have a message for the haters, something that we have become famous for on this platform. And the first, you know the first uh, part I want to address is when it comes to these these rankings I've mentioned, right? We said Lauren Gregory's moving up them. I'm new in this space. I don't have the credibility. I don't have the experience. Um, I'm very new. I'm a rookie in this space. And with that comes a level of humility and respect for my predecessors, my teammates. I defer to them very commonly. Um, But there are times when I really feel strongly about something and I make that known and we're able to find a common ground and and it all works out. I say all that to say, when we made our pre-season rankings, what I did was I split um, an Excel sheet into four columns, 800, mile, 3K, 5K, and I essentially filled it with names of athletes who I thought were the strongest in each of those four events and of course you have some like Tui and Valby and uh, Mercy Chalangat who are really strong in the 3k and the 5k so I factored that in but what I wanted was a, a, a top 10 that represented the strongest athletes in each of those events what I mean by that is I didn't want to just fill it with great cross-country runners who are decent at the 800 and decent in the mile and decent in the 3K and pretty good at the 5K. You know, if someone was really good at the mile and didn't really have as much on their resume in the other events, I wanted a great miler in my top 10. And when I filled that out, I put Olivia Howell of Illinois At, I believe, number like seven or eight in my preseason top 25. And my colleagues did not even think she was worthy of a top 25 spot. And so we settled on putting her at number 18 in our preseason. I believe it was number 18. Um, But, you know, when I look back now (laughs) and see that she won a national title, I just think, man, man, we would have looked really smart if we went with with what I with what I was going for. And the argument against her, quote unquote, was just that she didn't have great great resume and other events, but it's just the way that we look at these things differently. And the other thing to mention, uh, based on on our preseason rankings, was I really felt strongly about two things with the Stanford women. One was that I wanted to put them higher than we did. We put them somewhat conservatively in the teens of our top 25. I was thinking, guys, this these rankings it's content. Like who cares if we're wrong? Let's shoot for the stars. Let's put them in the top 10. They have all the potential to be that good and instead we kind of took that conservative route. And then the other aspect was I wanted to put Roisin Willis above Juliet Whitaker and the main difference between these athletes is that they're very similar in skill set for the 800 but Whitaker is a better miler and so I was shut down because of that fact and we ranked Whitaker higher but in my mind the fact that Willis was the u 20 world champion in the 800 to me she came in as the preseason favorite for the 800 meters and she ended up just winning the national title so by no means do I bring up those things to say that I could like see the future or something but it's just a different frame of mind where I like to make the the flashy prediction to really just say, hey, if this happens, it's going to be really cool to have called it four months in advance versus being conservative and just following the flow of results and ending up maybe even getting things right, but it's you know clear and obvious at that point. The second and more important message to the haters is as we transition to the men's 5K. The men's 5K. Before even getting into the athletes in this race and, and what went down, I have to call out the ESPN family of networks again. I don't know how many times I've done it, but I have to say, uh, first of all, they they moved this to a paywall. They moved this to the ESPN Plus uh, level of access. So you had to pay a $9.99 monthly account fee and set that up to watch these races. But not only that, but I have to say it is an absolute disaster to put commercial breaks within a 5K race that you made the fans pay a premium subscription service to watch. That is just wrong. That is just absolutely wrong. And I know it was only for like two minutes and it wasn't through uh, an extremely important part of the race, but you have no right to collect more advertising revenue when you got your revenue at the door by asking your fans to pay $10 to watch this track meet. That is not okay at all. I was very upset at that. Even though it was only a couple minutes, it's a matter of principle. It's wrong. It's greedy. And the actual production was a dumpster fire I mean our group chat was blowing up at the amount of results where it had an athlete with the wrong school next to their name or it had a school with the wrong logo next to it it said the Oklahoma State men's DMR NCAA record and it had the OU Oklahoma Sooners logo next to it it was a dumpster fire The commentary was trash. These people don't know who the athletes are. They're reading off a a Wikipedia page, basically. They have no idea who they are. They're okay at calling races, but they're missing really important parts of it. I mean, men's 3K, Jackson Sharp from Wisconsin makes a big move with like 400 to go, and they don't even mention it. They don't even mention it. They don't even know who he is. So uh, let me try and calm down here. But as you can see, I mean, this is very believable at this point. When that happened during the men's 5K, when they threw it to a commercial, I will say I got riled. I was riled. And what does that mean? It means my toes are curling. My toes were curling when that happened. Not happy at all. Uh, I guess I have this ESPN Plus thing for like, 28 more days, but not a happy customer, as you can tell, um, based on what value I got from that subscription. Moving on to the actual races, so we can at least end on a high note. I I strategically put this next point after the message to the haters, because if there is anything that can raise my morale after it has been so horribly broken down, and I feel like I've been cheated and I feel like I've been robbed and, and betrayed by these corporate, uh, these, these greedy corporate teams. The one thing that can bring me back is a good, feathered, lethal mustache. And we got that from Mr. Drew Bosley of Northern Arizona University. Um, as I sit here, it's it's really, I'm just trying to take it all in, one of the best mustaches that I have seen in NCAA history. Uh, I mean, we're talking, I would not say this unless I really believed it, right up there with Steve Prefontaine, right up there with Steve Prefontaine uh, in terms of just what kind of pop that mustache brought to the track. And keep that in mind as I talk about these races, because the mustache played as big of a factor as it possibly could. We start out with the men's 5k on Friday. You know, I'm in a horrible mood because of this commercial break nonsense. (laughs) But as far as the actual race goes, it seemed like there were four guys, uh, really, I'd say five guys in contention for the title Dylan Jacobs of Tennessee, Drew Bosley of NAU, Kai Robinson of Stanford, Alex Mayer of Oklahoma State, and Casey Klinger of BYU. I picked Dylan Jacobs. Um, I actually picked him for both races, the 5K and the 3K, thinking he could pull off the Abdi Hamid nerd double. He ran 13-11 and 7.36 this year, so I'm thinking, you know what? He's going to blitz this field. Everyone's freaking out about the altitude. That's probably why they're given the edge to Bosley or maybe even Klinger, but I'm going to roll with, uh, Jacobs on this one. The race itself, uh, pretty entertaining, pretty entertaining. You had Drew Bosley and Nico Young trading off the lead. It was very much a fartlek style race where they're throwing in surges and then they're backing off and really made for an exciting race. And I, 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 can't say it enough. But getting 25 laps of that mustache, uh, man, that to me was worth the $10. Um, And and the fact that that commercial break deprived me of, uh, of a couple laps of that, I will never forgive ESPN for that. But thankfully, we still got a lot of laps. And when it came to the last 800 or so, It's really looking like it's down to Jacobs and Bosley. Jacobs tries to make a move. Bosley holds him off, shuts the door. Jacobs stays on his shoulder. You get to the bell lap. Jacobs takes the lead, goes to the house, doesn't give it back. Casey Klinger, big move, getting second place around Bosley there. And so it just turned out that, you know, Jacobs had just an elite enough level of fitness to, to overcome the mustache discrepancy. Casey Klinger, he's like 30 years old, so you know he had that working for him. Uh, but other than that, I mean the mustache was out in full form. And when we go to the 3K the next day, uh, Jacobs just didn't quite have the juice to pull off the double. still ran well but but was not in contention for that title. And in this case, it was really Drew Bosley going up against Fawad Masoudi, who led off that Oklahoma State DMR championship. But here is where, uh, I mean, I had to just take a seat for a second. You talk about having your heart broken and and just your hopes and dreams crumble before your very eyes. Drew Bosley shaved between Friday in Saturday. He he took third place in the 5K and then he shaved going into Saturday. And and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking what could have possibly gone through this man's mind? This was his ace in the hole. This was his Mario Kart mushroom. This was his five pieces of Exodia to get the win in the 3K and to redeem the close loss in the 5K. But as you're watching this race, it's looking like he's in control. And when you get to the end of it, Masudi of Oklahoma State is moving up. And and like I said earlier, Jackson Sharp from Wisconsin, he makes a big move too. Heck of a race from him. Probably the best track race of his career uh, as far as I am concerned. But you get to that bell lap, Bosley still has another gear. He's moving around that track. He's putting some distance on Masoudi. They round that last corner. Masoudi starting to close the gap a little bit. And you're wondering when they hit the straight. 50 meters to go. Is there enough room for Masoudi to steal this one from Bosley? Or is Drew Bosley in a good enough position with just a short enough amount to go to win this national title? And what ends up happening? They hit the straight and you see this expression on Drew Bosley's face. And because I am a mind reader, I've watched a lot of track. I can read minds in cases like this there were two things going through his head. The first was, oh my gosh, there is uh, an incredibly talented runner right behind me. And I'm lo- the legs are going lactic and I'm kinda losing it. I'm not confident I can hold this guy off. I'm gonna try, I'm gonna do my best, but I'm not confident I can hold this guy off. So there was the exclamation mark above his head sort of surprise of that and number two was, I have made a massive mistake by shaving this mustache. because if he had it, I guarantee you, he would have had the confidence to find another gear in those legs to steamroll through that last 50 meters. And Drew Bosley would be a national champion in the 3,000 meters, but a horrible mistake was made by shaving the mustache and we saw the results we saw what happened uh and his face just said it all his his baby face said it all right there you really hate to see it very sad um you know young people they they will learn they they make these mistakes in college but uh it's just part of life so shout out to Fouad Massoudi huge race for him Uh, He suddenly has become one of the, one of the brightest stars in all of track and field uh, very quickly, but uh, overall a phenomenal uh, just course of events in the NCAA indoor championships. And uh, thankfully for me, I've timed this show very well. Um, I've got to dip out of the house in the next five minutes or so, but perfect time for us to wrap up here. Um, I am excited. Nothing is confirmed, but I have a couple people I'm planning on reaching out to. So hopefully we will have some guests uh, here later in March. So stay tuned for that. But as far as today's episode goes, first, I want to thank our sponsors at The Amino Company. Go to aminoco.com slash Chiptime for a 30% off on all your amino co essential amino acid products. If you'd like to contact the show, send us an email chiptimepod at gmail.com. Chiptimepod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a five star rating on Apple or Spotify. That five star button does need your touching. And if you'd like to join the Chiptime Strava group, All you need to do is follow me on Strava. So thanks for listening, keep working hard, and we'll see you next time.